Howdy, I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I've written a couple of books that are available on Amazon Kindle, Bridge to Paradise, a book of short stories about travel, fishing, and life in the slow lane, and also what I know about fishing Southwest Florida, an in-depth book about fishing the waters from Pine Island Sound south to the 10,000 Islands. Book three, Take a Kid Fishing, a guide for introducing youngsters to the world of angling, is is coming it's coming soon <laughs> wow a lot of things got in the way but it's coming soon try to get it out by late summer i hope this is episode 49 titled the motion of the ocean those of you that have followed me over the last oh, 20 years or so will remember a fishing class series i used to do one of the most popular was called science class a lot was um it was covered there about tides and weather and winds and water temperatures and, well, you get the idea. And so I overheard this gentleman the other day. I was uh, sitting a few seats down from me at a, at a local watering hole here in the Keys, and he mentioned that he had, um, he had no idea that the water levels went up and down, which got me pretty tickled, <laughs> to say the least, but he, the way he put it was really funny. Um, and it said, he, he, he said that made tying up my boat like a real problem. And I, and I was like, yeah. And of course I chuckled to myself again, but, um, yeah, tides along with their associated currents add a whole new dimension to boating in the, in the Florida salt, uh, versus those big bodies of water, fresh water up North, those big lakes and small lakes too, for that matter. So that's what led to this week's podcast, uh, The Motion of the Ocean. I'm going to talk a little bit about tides and a little bit about their relation to boating in general. And then, of course, some fishing, some fishing knowledge. I always like to spread a little knowledge. And, uh, you know, I, I got myself moved into the Keys now. I've gotten locked down and uh, kayak fishing comes soon. So I'll be covering that. But, but for right now, let's just talk a little bit about... Uh, I don't, it won't be exactly like science class, but it's certainly going to be a, an introduction to like boating with tides, how to work with tides, and also about fishing with tides and what and really what they're all about. So, what is a tide? I mean, other than water moving up and down, I mean, exactly what is it? Well, it's it is just that it's inbound and outbound water affected by the moon and the sun, pretty pretty much. The moon has, I'd have to say, the moon has a great deal of effect on it on a daily basis, and if not every two weeks to every four weeks. Um, the tide itself is based on, the tide numbers for Florida are based primarily on the Atlantic Ocean, because uh, the Gulf side's crazy complicated. I'll get into that in a minute, but, but most, of them are, most of the time it's, it's all about the, uh, uh, the motion of the Atlantic Ocean, I guess I should say. The... Um, as the moon comes up from the horizon, that's typically low tide. As the moon starts to rise directly up above you, it's the inbound tide. It's pulling water with it in, up, if you will. That's one way to remember it. And as the moon uh, above you at apogee, straight up, starts to head toward the west, uh, it pulls the water out with it. And, of course, the exact opposite is happening on the other side of the world. Uh, so in our world... Uh, if you get up early in the morning and you see a moon down on the eastern horizon, 
uh, that's inbound tide. If you see the moon down on the western horizon, it's almost low. It's almost going low. If it's right above you, it's it's pretty much reaching high tide. That's a general rule. It's not always perfect, but but it'll at least get you in the right right frame of mind. The Atlantic tides are extremely normal <laughs> time-wise. They are pretty much the same every single day. You know, you just you just basically um change the time on it by about 50 minutes a day, and you'll have the high tide for the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, They're about six hours apart, six hours difference between high and low, so it's not very complicated. Um, If you've been out one day and it's, you know, it's high at noon, the next day it's going to be probably high at one, you know, stuff like that. Um, For low tide, and the same for the low tide, the low tide uh, is is very, very... uh, normal, if you will, or, or uh, it's the same. It's boring is what it is. So you have a cycle of tides over a 24-hour period of two highs and two lows. So that breaks you down into your six hours. Six hours is 12. 12 and 12 is 24. So there you go. Pretty simple. And once you get locked into it, it's not hard to remember. Um, you still need a tide chart every now to get started. Or on the East Coast, uh, over here on the Atlantic Ocean side, you can use a thing called a tide clock. And the tide clock is very accurate. Uh, once you set it to, say, high tide, uh, straight up, say noon is high tide, and you set it to that, from that point on, you'll be able to walk by it. And every time you look at it, it'll tell you exactly whether it's uh, you know, an, an ebb or, or flowing up, up or down tide and, a, and about how much time you have between uh, high and low. Much more complicated on the Gulf Coast because the Gulf Coast – Uh, is pushed back up inside, away from the Atlantic Ocean, and so tides are radically different. Uh, They also are not very regular. Well, for a while they are, around the full moon and the new moon they are, when the moon has the most influence on the tide. But the rest of the time, it's just all over the place. And the tide stations are radically different on the West Coast. If you look at a tide down in the 10,000 Islands, or you go up to Ponte Rossa, which is uh, in Lee County, or further up toward uh, Crystal River and those areas, uh, the tides are all going to be different. Uh, the lows and highs will be very similar in some cases. I can't say that they're radically different, but they're going to be pretty much the same. Um, same thing goes for down here in the Florida Keys. If you're on the Atlantic Ocean side, the tides are pretty daggone normal, just like they are along the coast of Fort Lauderdale, Miami. But when you get into Florida Bay, that all changes because Florida Bay is, again, Florida Bay is actually situated more against the Gulf of Mexico than it is against the Atlantic Ocean. It's affected by the Atlantic Ocean because of the openings underneath all the Keys bridges pouring into Florida Bay. But but for all intents and purposes, there's it's, it's a mess. <laughs> An example I love to use, um, I did a lot of boating years ago out of Isla Mirada. Uh, I kept a boat there. And... Uh, they, it was really crazy. Uh, the tide in Isla Mirada, when you left, uh, let's say you left Little Basin, which is where the Bass Pro Shops is, the, the Worldwide Sportsman, and you went straight up toward uh, Flamingo, the tide at Flamingo would be the opposite of what it was at Little Basin, just about almost almost completely opposite, six hours, seven hours different. So high tide, you got a lot of water, the basin looks good, you get up to Flamingo and there ain't no water. <laughs> it's, it's just the way it was. And that's giving you a real example of how, how erratic the tide can be. When it comes to boating, it's a, it's a body of moving water. It is not like a lake where the only thing that moves you is wind. Um, on, on a lake, it's like wind direction is everything. But when you get down into Florida, the tide moves your boat around, the current moves your boat around with the wind, against the wind, opposing wind. It could be almost anything, really. 
And that's what the gentleman at the at the bar was saying. He was just he was absolutely puzzled, especially about docking his boat. You know, just bringing it in. Uh, you aim for the dock. You know, you aim for the the slip, if you will. And as you approach the slip, the boat's sliding one way or another. And it's very entertaining to watch. <laughs> I don't mean to be mean about it, but I'm just like, oh boy, this guy. He, he has. You can look out there and go, oh man, he ain't got no idea what's going to happen now. Um, but as the Let's just say you have an opposing wind and tide. So in other words, you have wind from one direction, tide from the other, and you're approaching the dock. You're pretty good. You know, you're, you're pretty good if you just pay attention. Just kind of drive it right in there nice and slow, and, and the current will hold one way and the, and the wind the other, provided they are similar. Obviously, more wind's going to push it one way, and more tide's going to push it, or current's going to push it the other. So that's the game you play. The bigger the boat, the trickier it is. Uh, the more freeboard the boat is, the trickier it is. If you're in a little bitty flats boat and you've only got about a foot of freeboard um, sticking up, maybe a console, and you, eh, the wind affects you, but nothing like it will if you're coming in at a 30-some-odd-foot cruiser you know, or 40-foot boat, you know, a whole different ball game there. So that's how that, that's how that all works. The up-and-down part. Um, Florida tides typically... Uh, from Atlantic Ocean tides, even in the backcountry tides, are three foot, zero to three foot maximum. So uh, you have more than that. I always hate, I hate blanket statements. I learned a long time ago not to, not to do that when it comes to fishing and boating. But reality is, it's about a three foot tide on a normal day. Sometimes you get two and a half feet of rise or two and a half feet of drop. Sometimes you don't even get that much. But uh, on the Atlantic, it's very, very normal and zero to about three feet. When you get in the Gulf of Mexico, again, it can be just as crazy as you can imagine. Um, heck, there's tides in the Gulf of Mexico. There's, it's a one-day tide. 24-hour period, you have a low and a high. That's all you have in an entire day. From one day into the next, if you count nighttime, it's, it's really nuts. And it's hard. It's very, very hard to get a grip on that. Um, so, uh, and, and then, of course, you've got the moon phases themselves. The moon, uh, let me go back to that. Full moon pulls a lot. New moon pulls a lot. So water will move in more rapidly and will fill areas more quickly on the Gulf side uh, during those two moon phases than they will on the quarter moons. Uh, so keep that in mind. Doesn't affect the Atlantic all that much, but it definitely affects uh, the west coast of Florida a lot. Um, the tide cycles themselves are fortunately pretty regular and they're chartable and they're mathematically predictable. So don't worry, don't worry about keeping track of it yourself. Don't worry about, I mean, a tide chart's nice, uh, but you'll find that most modern day, uh, like your phones have applications on them. You can also, your GPS has now come with built-in tide station location so you can go into your gps pick your location pick the closest tide turn it on and find out exactly what's going on so it's not a big panic situation so for boaters there you go for fishing on the tides that's a whole different ball game uh, i i always say you're not going to catch fish unless the water's moving I, plain and simple you need motion you need water moving in or out doesn't matter up or down doesn't matter uh you need it to catch fish and um our fish are lazy. I've said this in, in previous classes. <laughs> they, they are. Most of our fish are ambush feeders. They are aggressive ambush feeders. And what they like to do is they like to lay in wait. Um, you know, they're just, they're sitting on the edge of a, a rock ledge or a rock thing in the Gulf or in the, or even in the Atlantic along uh, 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 reefs and things like that or wrecks. Um, 
They park themselves up against mangrove like snook. Uh, they'll sit on points and corners, and they'll sit on a likely area that's going to draw bait to them to make it easy. Um, they're big, bait's little. And the more the bait struggles with uh, current tie, the easier the Mr. Snook is going to have of getting one or Mrs. Snook if they're really big. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's important to understand that that moving water is really, really important. When you have slack tide, which is at high and low, in other words, when it just, it just stops and it's getting ready to turn in the opposite direction, basically. It's either uh, it's been coming in and then it stops to go out or vice versa. Um, those fish will just, uh, they just won't eat. Uh, they just won't. Now, you can, you can coax them with a really good fly cast or you can bring something that looks real shiny and bright by them and they might do a reactionary strike. But the reality is they really are all about that water moving and bringing them food. Which brings me to this part, and I see this mistake made a lot. When the tide is moving, in or out, I don't care which, and you're fishing a point, you've backed off away with the boat or the kayak, and you're making cast to that point, and you're using uh, flies or, or lures or bait, or bait for that matter, it's important that you place the bait in a position where it's going to come toward the face of the fish. Don't cast something over the back of a fish or behind the fish and expect him to find it when it comes by. That's probably not going to happen. It's also very, very important that you get whatever it is you're casting to the level of the fish. Where's the fish sitting? Is he on the bottom? Are they in the middle of the water? Or are they at the top of the water? Um, those things all come into play. Um, if you watch really good videos of presentations of bait to fish, lures, flies, You'll see where somebody cast a fly at a fish two and three times with no reaction whatsoever. And on the fourth cast, the fish explodes on it. And that's basically because it was put in exactly the right location to get their attention. The opposing winds become another issue. So please keep that in mind. If you have tides coming in and a wind pushing against it, it's going to slow the tide down. You're not going to get as good a water push. So something I tell people when it comes to tides is to always try to get the wind at your back um, and in the direction of the tide. See, that won't make any sense. <laughs> you don't want the wind at your back if the tide's coming at you. You got it? Okay, so you need to line yourself up. Inbound tide moving away from you. Wind at your back, perfect. Um, that's going to allow for presentations that are going to, you know, put bait right in front of a fish. And you don't do anything, by the way, if you do that. If you cast correctly, you don't need to retrieve. You're just going to put whatever it is in the water and let it glide down toward the bottom. Uh, even with flies, you do not need to strip. You just hit the water and let it go. Don't do anything to it. One of my favorite things to do in the summer are um, poppers and topwater lures and popping style lures. So in other words, poppers on fly and topwater lures, or, or I should say poppers on spinning as well. They're just a lot bigger. Um, it's really fun to short cast those when you've got wind and tide working in your favor. And then as it approaches the target, just give it one little chug. In the case of a fly, give it one little pop. And if there's a fish around, he's just he's going to absolutely nail it because he's been watching it come the whole time. If it suddenly pops a little bit or moves a little bit, um, they're going to attack it. So no moving water, no fish. Got it? Moving water, difficult to dock. Got it? Okay. Yeah, I think, I think we got that covered pretty well. Now let's go seasonal. Summer versus winter. I could do spring and fall too, but 
in Florida, we only have two seasons, so I'm just going to do summer. That's a joke. Summer and winter. <laughs> well, it does seem that way to a lot of people. They come in here and they're like, man, it's, you know, you, you don't. Well, no, we definitely don't get cold and not certainly not down here in the Keys. Um, it's tropical. Uh, it gets beautiful is what it gets in the wintertime. Temperatures drop down to like a high of 79, 80 max with cool nights, maybe in the 60s. It's just it's perfect is what it is. And our summers are hot. Our summers are 80-something at night and 91 or 92 during the day. But we have generally a sea breeze, so, and we're Floridians, so we deal with it. Summer tides um, are higher. The water level is higher. Okay, now that, I'm, early on in this, I mentioned two things affect the tide, and that's the moon and the sun. Moon more so on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. The sun on a seasonal basis. The sun pulls just like the moon does. In the summer, the sun is really high in the sky, uh, and I'm speaking of Florida. Well, they're high everywhere. You all warm up up north too, but uh, the the sun being up, it actually pulls water up with it. So just picture the same way I, as I described the moon. If the sun is low on the southern horizon during the winter, it's pulled the water with it, and when the sun comes up really really high overhead in uh, summer solstice July uh, June 21st, um, that's when the sun is going to be at its highest, its apogee. Um, that water is going to be way up. Now, that water difference in depth can be, on, especially on the Gulf Coast, can be as much as a foot. So there's a tremendous amount of water that the sun pulls with it. And it's a, tr a tremendous amount of water that it takes away when it starts to drop down toward the winter solstice. Um, so keep that in mind. When you are boating, this I'm going to go back to the boaters now. When you are boating in the state of Florida on the West Coast, uh, you really have to be careful. There are bays that will go dry. <laughs> if that bay had a foot of water at low tide during the summer, it may not have any tide. It might have a trickle, might have an inch of water on it in the wintertime. And we get super, super lows. Um, and we just do. That's how it happens over there. If you combine wind with it, as I was uh, talked about, the wind affects those, those currents dramatically. If you have a north wind blowing down a bay and you have an outbound tide, you'll get what's known as a negative tide. You're literally, the water will go below zero mean tide. It'll go all the way, it'll go negative. It'll go negative an inch, two inches, three inches sometimes. Quite a bit of water will disappear. Um, so it's real important to understand that in the winter, you have much less water to deal with. This does not affect the Atlantic Ocean that much. doesn't affect the uh, waters bordering the Atlantic Ocean, like the lower part of Florida, but the northern part, of, I should say the lower part of Florida Bay above the Florida Keys. It, they do get affected. You do get less water there, but it's not quite as dramatic as on the Gulf Coast. You'll get less water when you travel up to Flamingo, all the way up at the top of Florida Bay and then out toward the 10,000 Islands. You'll definitely see a difference there. But it's important to understand that you're losing that water in the winter. It makes navigation really tricky. Uh, what what most charts have, a minimum. the minimum that's written on there is what they call mean low, low tide. So in other words, if you see a chart and it says one foot on it or a half a foot at mean low, they've measured it as an average. Doesn't necessarily mean there'll be a half a foot or a foot of water at mean low. Over a 99-year historical measurement, it, all it means is they're just kind of giving you a bar. And that water will drop below that bar and surprise the bejeebers out of you. So, I mean, I've been to the boat ramp at Punta Rosa, which is in Lee County in Fort Myers. It's over by the Sanibel Bridge. 
that that boat ramp, I've seen people struggle to get boats off at a, a super low um, winter tide. Summer. Oh, blessed summer. Water comes way up. Uh, thank you, Mr. Sun. It starts, you know, it just starts pulling that water up and up comes the water level big time and and boating into those secret, wonderful areas back in the back country, trying to get into those little creeks and things where you know Mr. Snook, Mr. Redfish, sea trout, tarpon are hiding. That, that's that's what summer does for you. And I know a lot of a lot of folks aren't here for summer that are from out of town. Um, they well, they think it's too hot. It's not really. It's probably no hotter than downtown Chicago on a summer day. And I know it's not hotter than Louisville, Kentucky, which I lived there for a few years. And that was hot there in the summertime. But down here, like I said before, we got sea breeze, so that helps. But that that water depth difference makes a big difference in catching fish. It's easier to catch fish in the winter. It really is. You don't always catch every species you want because some of these fish are, are tropical in nature, if you will, like a snook, for example. Hey, snooks hate water under 70 degrees. They're 66 or so, they get downright, yeah, they get ornery, whereas the sea trout kind of likes it. Redfish, yeah, he'll eat, but he doesn't really, he's not over-enthused. Um, whereas summertime, they're all feeding like crazy. So, but the winter water levels are really fantastic because your water winter your winter water levels are down so much that the fish can only be in certain places like fishing in a barrel <laughs> you go into a bay right and you got the little channels going back into the bay this is especially true here in Florida Bay just above the Florida Keys here that low water man that water comes down off of those flats those fish don't really want to be in four inches of water on top of a flat because the bird predators can get to them um, sharks will get them when they're on the edges. I mean, they, they got all kinds of problems going on at low water. So where do they go? They go into the ditches. They go into the deep cuts. They work the edges of those deep cuts for other smaller fish who are, have the same problem they've got, trying to pull off that edge and get away. So the most fun tarp fish, tarpon fishing I've ever had uh, on fly is on low tide, you know, where you, you get into those little swells and you work them nice and slow and you watch for pushes and you watch for a little bit of a fin break in the water and you, and you lay a fly down in front of one of those tarpon and, and he's on, he, they don't, they don't hesitate when they find food and water like that. So it's important to understand that, that winter fishing is quite good. The, the problem though, is the species themselves. Uh, again, don't come down from up North after seeing a bunch of TV shows and think you're going to get a tarpon in the dead of winter. That's not going to happen on the West Coast. Uh, springtime, it'll get real good. You know, you start to get into uh, April and May, and of course, May and June are the peak. But in the wintertime, if you're coming down as a winter guest, there are just some fish that you're just not going to be able to get, get a lure in front of. Uh, tarpon is one. Unless you're down in the Keys here, of course, you, you have a shot at that. Snook, they hate cold. Uh, probably your best bet's going to be redfish if you've seen people fit redfish, but they're not always going to bite a lure real well in the winter in the cooler water. You're probably going to be better off throwing like live shrimp at them or something of that nature. But you have to understand that the winter water temperature is the problem there. The depth is good. The depth is really good. I mean, the fact that these fish have to hold up in a place, especially at low tide, is advantage angler, uh, plain and simple. Now, early in the podcast, I mentioned that, um, you know, the Water level itself is is can be different or be changed based on uh, the weather and the current and all that kind of stuff. But something else can also affect that water level, and that's rain. Um, 
surprising. I, I guess it surprises a lot of people here in the Keys. It's not so much a thing other than the runoff will create a little tiny bit of silt in the water, which can be very advantageous. Um, you combine that with a breezy storm that comes through and, and it can really help you get fish. You, they can't seem any better than you can. But on the west coast of Florida, when the, um, when the rain comes, the summer rain, it washes into very shallow water bays to begin with. Now, when I say shallow water, for example, your left coast bays, 10,000 islands all the way up north toward Tampa, you're, you're well in, I'm not talking the ones right against the Gulf of Mexico, but you're in inside bays, in, uh, Matt Lachey Pass, uh, Pine Island, uh, Estero Bay, where I used to fish a lot. Um, there is, there's only an average depth of a couple of feet of water in that bay. Uh, most of the bay is around oh, anywhere from 18 inches to maybe three feet deep with deep water cuts. You know, so, so the average depth is like two feet. You get a crazy rain for a couple of days in the summer. Uh, afternoon storms, rains all night, starts up again the next day at around 11 in the morning, and that runoff is coming into that area, it will change the water level. I, 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 it's really weird. It'll also affect the tide. If you got water pouring off the mainland uh, after a big rain, and in the case of the West Coast, that would be along, say, US 41, something like that. As the water's pouring in, it's filling that bay, and it's pushing against whatever inbound tides you might have. So it can actually affect the, the flow of the tide as well. So rain something important to look at west coast-wise, something to keep, keep an eye on. That um, will also uh, heavily tan in the water. Now, that's not a bad thing. Um, we've been living with water quality issues on the west coast for quite some time. And as a matter of fact, there's been some here in the Keys and Florida Bay. And there's certainly been some over in Biscayne Bay recently over on the east coast. And everyone's very conscious of water quality right now. And every and I'll be honest with you, a great many people are working on the problem, I'm happy to say. Uh, uh, see Captains for Clean Water. <laughs> look them up and, and, and look at the work that they're doing. And that will lead you to other groups that are also doing really good work in, in with water quality. The thing about rain is, though, the fresh water coming in is actually good. From in, in the sense that it runs through the mangroves, uh, the mangroves have a uh, their roots are are, are tannin, uh, red red roots, uh, almost like a uh, like a tea, like a dark tea, or even a, a light colored coffee. And as that water runs through those roots, it tannins the water, and it makes one fish really really happy, and that's the redfish. The redfish is about the same color. He'll, he actually is capable of changing from very silvery if they're in passes or on sand to a deep, dark, beautiful um, reddish-brown color, thus the name redfish. I've always said whoever named redfish caught them in the summer after a big rain and said, ooh, that's a redfish. Um, but they are really something to see. Um, they really like to graze when that's happening. Redfish understand do they really understand? Are they that smart? Yeah, I think they are. As many as, as I've tried to catch that run away from a bait, I think they're pretty smart. They'll line up and wait for stuff to get washed out of the mangrove. So in other words, they'll put themselves in a position to where um, terrestrial-type bugs and things are coming out uh, of, the, of the mangrove, being washed out by this enormous amount of rainwater. Uh, they'll go after small lizards. They'll go after small frogs. They will eat all kinds of bugs, um, spiders and crickets and grasshoppers and whatever else happens to wash out of the out of the mangrove. 
So think along those lines if you're going to fish those waters that almost anything goes. I was out with a gentleman, oh, this is probably five, six years ago, who after a big rain was throwing rubber frogs along the edges of mangrove. And I watched him hook into two enormous snook. Um, I would have never in my entire life thought of throwing a frog in those areas. Uh, classic rubber, you know, the kind you use for bass fishing. And by the way, rubber frogs have gotten really good looking now. Really good. Great action. I'd highly recommend it. So keep in mind, these fish, these fish will work this, this type of tide thing. From a boater standpoint, remember that if you're boating in these areas and you're back in these areas, there's going to be a bit of a change up for you. You're going to have to be more careful. You're not going to be able to see the bottom like you're used to. You're not going to have an inkling of how deep it is unless you have a depth finder, and even that's going to lie because it's on the stern of the boat. <laughs> it's not on the bow. <laughs> it doesn't tell you what you're about to run into. It gives you an idea of where you've already been, which is not cool when you're in really skinny water. So be very, very aware of your surroundings and be very, very careful of where you're going. Low water. One thing I want to mention before I get off this podcast, low water is a great time if you're fishing like in Florida Bay, down here in the Florida Keys, or if you're working the 10,000 Islands or on up the West Coast of Florida. Low water is a ton of fun in the wintertime to look for fishing spots that will pay off later in the summer. It will give you a tr an idea of the terrain that it, even though it's on a chart and you can look it up on the web, there's nothing like visually seeing it with your own eyes. You go into areas and you'll see where like there's, there's a, a really nice deep water cut on this flat at low tide that you had no idea was there. You've passed over it many times with enough water on it. You, weren't, you just weren't aware of it. That tiny little cut, that little bitty swale of maybe a foot deeper water than the rest of, the, of that bay area, that's where the fish go at low tide. That's where they go and hide. And guess what? They do the same daggone thing when summer water, the high water's there. They still use that as a road. They use it as a pathway. It's safety. They know that they have a little deeper water. If something pops up that they don't like, dolphin, shark, something like that, they have a little place that they can hide and scoot through or a highway that they can use. So it's real important that you get out there in the summertime and look for, in the wintertime rather, on these really, really good low tides. Go in there nice and slow. Pop your trolling motor down. Get up on the platform. Get to push pole in the water. Work your way across the flat and search these little areas out and hunt for fish. All right, I hope I got a little bit out of the science part today. I certainly didn't cover what I cover in class, but pretty daggone close. You know, hang in there. Get yourself out there and do a little fishing. And also do a little boating. And be careful when you're tying up at the dock when you got winds and tide working against you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend and leave a review. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available on Waypoint by many of your favorite podcast providers. Facebook page, Catch Outdoors. Website, waypointtv.com and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. Enjoy.